Hello, everyone, and welcome to not just another episode of Lords of Limited. We are here live from MagicCon Chicago, and not joining me on the line, sitting right next to me here in our hotel room, Mr. Ethan Sachs. My name is Ben Warney. Welcome to Lords of Limited. Yeah, well, we're not live right now, is the thing, right? Like... That's the thing. I'm practicing. I'm practicing see. for the, the real well, live intro. Good goodness for you is you didn't say Las Vegas. <laughs> I, which... told, I told Ethan before we started, the only thing I'm worried about on stage is not saying live from Las Vegas. Yeah, so it's uh, a little peek behind the curtains. So we're recording, or we're doing the live show at 1230. We're in our hotel room now. It's uh, 10. We have to be called to the green room at 11, do a little check-in, and then we'll get ready for the show and then do it. Ben, the stage is... Large. This is gigantic. I have a production badge because we're, we're doing the live recording. And when we got here, they were setting up the convention hall. And I was like, I wonder if I can get in there with this badge. And I walked real confidently up to the security guard and held my production badge out. And they gave me the nod of approval. And I went in there. Like, I saw all the forklifts going around. It was super sweet. It was a little intimidating seeing the stage for the first time. I texted you a picture of it. Yeah, I am. I'm feeling, I mean, whatever. You know, like, the act like you've been there before or whatever sort of mentality we want to have this weekend, but, like, I do feel a little bit like, who did we trick? We definitely <laughs> who did we trick we, many people. We swindle into letting us up there. So, uh, really, really excited about the show. Just wanted to take care of some housekeeping stuff as uh, we record here in our hotel room, do a little intro-outro, but we'll be given the bulk of the, the episode here will be the live recording. So let's dive into some housekeeping stuff and then get into the show. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. The show will always be free, but we have a lot of great perks over at the Patreon page, depending on what tier you want to give back via base level. Everybody gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. I mean, I know you interacted with so many people this weekend from our community. I did. You fired a 14-person basement draft. <laughs> I fired an 8-person draft. Wait, you, you can't talk about draft club. Oh, right. The first rule of Draft Club is you don't talk about Draft Club. Thank you. My mistake. Um, and just like so many people coming up to us, maybe some of them thinking that you were me, that I was you, but the love was there nonetheless, and we really, really appreciated it. Like, got to sign a bunch of tokens, got to, you know, share in some bad beat stories. You got deck swapped. I got deck swapped in round four of the PTQ, which was absolutely epic. My opponent was on Redway. His name was Daniel. Shout out to Daniel. Uh, I was, like, furiously trying to figure out how to not die to his red-white aggro deck. And then game two, he let Forest, and I was like, okay, didn't see this splash. And then played Island, and he was like, oh, no. And then, like, was messing with his decks before game three. It was, was great. What did he end up going back to for game three? Went back to red-white on the play. Okay. What did you, did you think that that's what he was going to do? Was, that was my assumption. Yeah. I kept my sideboarding tactic okay. intact. Good. Love to see it. That's just, yeah, absolutely epic. So, shout out to everybody. It really, like, this weekend, as you were saying, like, I don't think I could do this every weekend, but, like, I want to do this more. Like, traveling to these events is really, really cool, and that's part of that, the, the gathering aspect of it and getting to interact with folks who check in on our show every week. Absolutely. Yeah, we drew Griffin tokens. Yeah. <laughs> for someone's Griffin. That's the world's right. greatest Griffin commander deck. That's right. Yeah, just meeting people. That is my takeaway from this, is that, like, Everyone in our community has been absolutely awesome, and it's been cool. Uh, it's been a, a nice level of celebrity dumb. We're like minor celebrities, where like we can wander around, but then people are like, "Hey, love the yeah. show!" Da 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 da. Like, it's been awesome. So thank you to everyone that I've met, said hello to, um, interacted with. And I can say this because you're here, and but not to like let everybody else feel the FOMO, but it does feel like. Literally everybody is here this weekend. Like, I don't know if there's a single, like, magic person on Twitter that I follow that isn't here this weekend. Well, and there's so much happening. Yeah. Like, I, I have done nothing, like, prior to last night when we went out to karaoke. Prior to that, I got in Wednesday night and had done nothing but eat, sleep, and draft. Yeah. Like, in this building or adjacent building. Yes. Yeah. But also, like, PT was happening. There's, like, cube stuff happening. There's yeah. command, like... The scale and the scope of all of the different ways to play Magic at this convention is, it's just gigantic. It's mind-blowing. Like, you know, so much has happened. Like, you and I haven't even had a chance to talk, really. We've been here sharing a hotel room for four days. And, that's like, true. We've not talked much. Yeah, well, here we are. <laughs> there this we go. Is, this is our opportunity. All right, back to the housekeeping, chatting about the Patreon, chatting about the Discord. want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they joined. So this week we are welcoming our new patrons of Christopher, Roma, Diego, Tiernan, David, Alex, Brandon, Daniel, Clark, Taylor, 
Gregory, Mahalis, Ben, Rodney, Austin, The Average Bowler, and Steve. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough to each of those patrons, all of our patrons, all of the listeners of the show. You all are wonderful. Have felt very blessed by the Lords of Limited community this week. Yeah. Shout out also to Cool Stuff Inc. sponsoring the show, CoolStuffInc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I think parting on good terms, yeah. this is going to be uh, the last episode that is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com. But we still want to very much encourage you to go over to CoolStuff.com, pick up those booster boxes of Murders at Karlov Manor, and stuff them in the closet. Because if there's one <laughs> takeaway from this week for me, it is that this format is awesome. Like, drafts are very good. But the games are also so good and so unique. I've played so many razor-thin margin games of Murders of Karlov Manor this week. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this format is gas. This is definitely going to be a format you're going to want to go back to. So please, head on over to CoolStuffInc.com, pick up that booster box, and put it in the closet for a better time. <laughs> and seriously, huge thank you to Cool Stuff Inc. Yeah. for taking a chance on us, sponsoring the podcast. I think just some unfortunate uh, budget restraints and... We were the new kids on the block. Yeah, for but sure. Excellent terms. Yeah, yeah. Cannot stress enough. Really, really loved working with them. Shout out to Evan over there as the content manager. And uh, I think with those two things out of the way, let's head on over to the main stage. Let's do it. Hello, and welcome to Lords of Limited, live from MagicCon Chicago! My name is Ben Morney, and joining me right here <laughs> is Mr. Ethan Pro Tour Competitor Sachs. Ethan! How's the journey been from pleb to pro? Pleb to pro, it went half as expected <laughs> or anticipated. Uh, the goal was 2-1, limited, 2-3 constructed, make it to day two. We got the first half of that right. The rest of it, not so much. We'll talk about that a little later on. I'm assuming, hopefully, that in the audience we have some folks who are new to the show, so I feel like we need to just say a little bit about what we do. So we're a limited strategy podcast. Uh, one of the reasons we've conned our way to being on this stage is that I played in my first pro tour this weekend. Um, you did, thank you, thank you. Um, I didn't do great, uh, hence being at the, I got to be at the news desk yesterday uh, during the coverage portion at the start of the broadcast. But also, I, we, we have some credence, we have some cred. Two of the top eight competitors, Adam Adelson and Simon Nielsen, came up to me this weekend, and they were ecstatic about the show. They were <laughs> elated. They were overflowing with their uh, gratitude about the show. Alex literally said to me today, he said, I 6 0 limited this weekend because of your podcast. So if I can't make it, <laughs> if I can't make it, that's about as, as good as you can take it. So Wait, how come you didn't 3 0 then? <laughs> we'll get to that later, Benjamin. Um, what about you, buddy? You got to do some, some high-stakes competitive draft this weekend, or not draft, but sealed, right? Yeah, did some sealed, uh, played in the PTQ to try to, to try to join Ethan here on the Pro Tour, but, um, pool was good, above average, had, uh, Crashing Footfalls as my best rare, some other rares, Anzrag, the Quake Mole, um, Kellen Inquisitive Prodigy, my pool was kind of hard to build, I had a choice between streamlined red-white aggro, and probably not playing Crashing Footfalls, which would have been tough to leave on the side. But I did have a, a good streamlined red-white deck. Um, that or kind of four-color soup if I played base green-white. I was 100% to play white, um, and ended up going for the four-color soup because I really wanted to take advantage of Crashing Footfalls. But unfortunately, it was pretty shy on turn one. I uh, went 3-2 drop in the PTQ, but it was awesome. I kept played against great opponents, had a blast playing every round, tight matches. This format has been... Absolutely incredible. I agree. I feel like I'm biased because I've like never spent more focus on trying to win at a limited format than this. But like, it's great. Like, you know, there's some. Well, we'll get into it as we talk about like the prep for the Pro Tour. If you are a longtime listener for Lord of the Rings, in preparation for that, like, or before that Pro Tour, we did an episode where we were like, here's what we would do if, if we were on if the Pro we Tour. On the Pro Tour, here's how we would approach pick orders, maybe meta gaming. If you're sitting down with players who know what's up. We actually got to kind of do that for real here, like really hash out a top 10 common, a, a top 10 uncommon list, that sort of thing. I tested with um, Team Sanctum of All, and we had a proper, yeah, shout out, thank you. Woo! 
Thank them is awesome. I have nothing but great things to say about those folks. I feel incredibly lucky that I got to work with them. But we did like a proper limited testing meeting online, like, you know, lining up all the commons and uncommons and rares and where they go and you know, just far too long dickering and dealing about, you know, where things go. But really good conversation. So we're going to sort of truncate that and I think more focus on what you and I thought about things and, and our conversations about it. So I think we just get into those lists, yeah? Well, yeah, just absolutely wild, too. You talked about testing with your team. Like, doing those lobby drafts Thursday morning, just like for me, like, you'd been around all those people yeah, online, yeah, yeah. like, the people we were with, and then, like, Team Ultimate Guard was next to us, like, yeah. borrowing lands from yeah. us. And it was just, like, super chill, just wild to be here and be a part of that. Yeah, the whole weekend has been truly incredible. But well, let's get into the hashtag content. Absolutely. Um, so we'll start with Top Commons. And I think you know, the big story, you can see the, the list here in our slide, they're ordered from top left corner is number one across and down to top right, or lower right being uh, number 10. This is sort of the like, loose pick order. And the big, the big conversation you and I keep having, <laughs> and I think are still not agreed or decided on, no. is dog walker versus novice inspector pick one. I think we will agree to disagree at this point. I am fir firmly in the dog walker camp. I made the slides. That's why dog walker is in the number one slot. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. We, we need to do show of applause. Uh, no, no, no. We're not. No, I don't, I, don't do, I don't do Twitter polls, and I don't do crowd polls. Um, but the, the conversation here, as you can see, of dog walker and then white card, white card, white card, white card. Novice Inspector 2, Makeshift Finding 3, and Inside Source 4, ahead of Shock, I think like in a vacuum, the big conversation here beyond Dogwalker versus Inspector is why is Shock below Binding and Source? So let's start with the Dogwalker versus Inspector. I will defend Dogwalker <laughs> as, I think, worse than Novice Inspector, but bumped up for flexibility. We'll, we'll see that in a hybrid card when we get to the uncommons that I think is perhaps a little underrated even in, in invested limited players thinking about it being so flexible. I can't state enough how great Dogwalker is. It's going to go in 40% of your decks. I think other than a handful, maybe the other one that's on this, uh, on this list being Granite Witness, that like the hybrid cards you really do want in their respective color pair decks, I think Dogwalker, just playing it in any red deck, any white deck. Yeah, I, I would say Dogwalker gets enough of a hit if you're not exactly red-white. I think that's why I like Novice Inspector, because basically to me, Dogwalker is a white card, and then I think Novice Inspector is more powerful. That's where the disagreement comes in. Novice Inspector turn one just feels so backbreaking. Your board presence replaces itself with a clue. Got good and I, types. I don't, yeah, good types, and I don't think you give up that much in the course of the draft in flexibility by taking Novice Walker over Dog Walker. Because if I'm taking Dog Walker, I want to surround it by inside source. I don't think if you, if you don't, or not inside source, on the job. that and on the job, yeah. if you don't have those two cards next to Dog Walker, I think it also is worse, significantly worse. Yeah, I, I buy that. And maybe it's a little bit of, and I, this was my, one of my notes to myself going into drafting at the PT was, not like someone's got to be white at the table. Like the, the conversation around white, it's very powerful. It's whatever. Maybe it's is it overdrafted? And we've seen in pod drafts, we've done a number of them leading up to this, like either testing with Sanctum, doing them in the lobby, leading up to the PT this week on Magic Online. On Magic they Online, the yeah, doing a single limb. limb. Like sometimes you get pods where there are four white drafters. But I think the texture of play boosters that you're not guaranteed a common of every color in the packs now means that you can actually end up with tables where just like not a lot of white cards are opened, and then maybe it's one or two people are actually in white. Right, we and definitely saw that on one of our Thursday drafts. Yeah, sure. and so you can, and then everybody's in green soup decks or whatever, but like you, you get in a spot where you, you have to do a little like will they, won't they about drafting white, and like trying not to be gun shy was one of my big notes, because I can often do that, like level myself, like, well, that's the overdrafted thing, so I'll just go ahead and avoid that completely. It's like, no, but, but somebody does, people do have to draft white at the table, why not you? Right, and it's the best thing, so if it is you, good for you. And so that's why shock, where I think I would put shock number three on this list, is number five, because I do want to get into white. And not that I don't want to get into red, but I'm less interested in it, because as you can see, we have five white cards really represented in this top 10 list, then three green, and only one red, or two if you count Dogwalker, that like, I, Shock just, it's great, but it puts you, I think, in a narrower position. 
Right, that's what we were talking about with your testing team versus what we thought. It yeah. seems like your testing team really wanted to be red and white or viewed the format as a primarily white, secondarily red format, and I think we're viewing it as primarily white, secondarily green. Green, yeah, because I missed the um, first our commons meeting. I was doing like paper testing to get some reps with my deck and paper first. Um, so I missed our commons meeting, so I came into it with some questions having watched the video of like, I feel like it's a Selesnya format, and they seem just a lot higher on red. And not that we're low on red, but I think, yeah, I definitely would view it as a, my ideal is to, like what we talked about a couple weeks ago of like, I want to be a white deck, a green deck, or maybe like one of the streamlined two-color decks, but really what comes to mind when I think of that is blue-red. Yeah, but so much of how you end up there is picking these commons early in the drafts. Like, you just have to make some choices about what you want to do early on. Yeah. So four white cards, shock. Projector Inspector, which was a, a mainstay of my uh, day two draft, or day one draft, as we'll talk about um, towards the end of the episode. But Projector Inspector is just incredible. Like, it's got good types. The loot is so good. You, I think you just play it in any deck, right? It slots into, OK, if you want to fuel your yard with collect evidence stuff, you can do that on the loots. And like, green has detectives too, right? Locks on eavesdroppers on this list. That's a detective. So like, it's not like you're going to be shy. Is V2 Ghazi Inspector too? That's also a, yeah, that's also a detective. Like, you can just get that in blue-green easy to trigger it a bunch of times. And I think it's just going to shine in any blue deck. But Blue-white certainly is where it's at its best. Well, but also 18 lands. Like, it just lets, yeah. you, it lets you feel great about playing 18 lands and not flooding, finding land drops if you need to. And so much of the format revolves around really powerful cards, too. I mean, there's tons of premium rares, and that's going to help you churn through your deck and find those things if you're surrounding it with other detectives. It just does tons of work. And I think if you're white, you want to be red-white primarily and then blue-white secondarily, and Projector Inspector is right at home there. Yeah, exactly. And then we get into to green, and I do think green has, like, there's sort of a couple different things. I think ideally green is a base for a multicolor good stuff deck. Like, my green decks have often been heavy green, like 10, 11 green sources, and then five-ish of blue or black, generally, and then splashing one of the other ones. So usually Sultai, but, like, very heavy green. And that's where Nervous Gardener, I think, gets the top spot, even though I think like Loxodon Eavesdropper as whatever, Novice Inspector's big bad older brother and V2 Ghazi Inspector is just a great roadblock slash good reach early blocker against the flyers in the format and the life gain later on and the collect evidence synergy. Like all of that, they, you could shuffle them up, but I think if I have to start with a green card, Nervous Gardener is the one. Well, it just feels better because it's a better spot on the curve, too. Like, if you're starting with it, that's why. It's so tough to, like... But, like, are you ever playing it on two? Is that what you're saying? Like, No, 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 no. On three. I mean, three versus four for oh, the Locked sure. On. Like, yeah, yeah. Just starting your draft off with a three drop versus a four drop feels so much better because the four drop slot, there's just banger after banger in this format. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And then uh, pulling up the rear ears, Granite Witness in the number 10 spot. Another shout-out to White, Hybrid. This being two mana... To Undisguise is, is really huge here, uh, much like Dog Walker. It having an effect when it flips up is also really good. Um, and, and that's our top 10. And notably, I mean, we can, we can get to the next slide of, of the notable excludes. There are no black cards on that list. And not that we don't like black in the format. It is, I think, clearly the worst color. But I'm not starting off a draft with black commons. Yeah, you're just not ever in that spot, hardly at all, because white is so deep and there's so many good rares and uncommons. Right. So, like, it's just so hard to construct a pack where that's right. I honestly, I think I would take, um, what, Escape Tunnel, the Evolving Wilds variant? I think I would take that over a black common early. Like, for sure. For the flexibility. So, just some notable excludes to sort of, you know, to put, it, put at ease anyone who was like, what about this card? <laughs> so Out Cold's on here, Red Herring, um, Person of Interest, Bite Down on Crime, Extract a Confession, and Gadget Technician are sort of on the outside looking in of that top list. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's get on to the uncommons. Cannot wait to talk about this. So, I came into the, the testing meeting, the day two, with Neighborhood Guardian as sort of the anchor for the top uncommon. And I was like, that seems a little aggressive. That's fine. I'm sure there's something better. And then as we were going through all of them, I was like, oh, I don't think there is. No, it's broken. I think it's just the best one. Like, and again, just does exactly what White wants to do on turn two and 
demands an answer. It's like so huge. And if your opponent doesn't answer it, you just win in short order. If you've got dog walkers, inside, inside sources, source. the curve of neighborhood guarding into inside source, which is super doable, is very hard to come back from. And then, so the card I wanted to talk about when we were saying like shouting out hybrid cards and the like is the next one on this list, which is push pull, which is like really every time I've seen it like gone up and up. I remember telling you like early on being like, man, I've been casting pull a lot more than I thought I was going to be. So this is the hybrid. It's uh, one hybrid Orzov, destroy a tapped creature at sorcery speed. And then the other one, pull, is uh, four uh, black red, black red hybrid. And you can grab two creatures out of one person's graveyard. Uh, they gain haste, and then you sacrifice them at the beginning of the end step. Pull just ends tons of games. And the flexibility here of you can put it in a white deck, you can put it in a black deck. If you're black, you can cast both halves. If you're white-red, you can cast both halves. And like, it, it doesn't trade great with disguised creatures, right? You do have to pay four to kill a disguised creature. But you can do it, right? We're not in murder territory where it's five mana to do it. Everything about this card, like, it's that sort of the thing we keep coming back to about like every piece of the buffalo. Like, <laughs> you, this card just does it all in in terms of early in the draft. The flexibility it gives you can't be understated. That's where you've talked me up on it. I, I was lukewarm on push pull, <laughs> and over over the last three or four days, I've come way up on it because I think one of the most important things in the format, and we've talked a lot about this, is. This format really wants you to get deep into one color yeah. in, in pack one for several reasons. One, the colors are kind of self-contained and what they want to do, certainly between white and green. And you get into some streamlined two-color decks, but what you give yourself the opportunity to if you get deep in one color is either find that open two-color pair, like delay that decision, see which gold cards are coming late, because it's very much a synergy-driven format. Or, you know, if you're almost monocolor going into pack two, give yourself chance to open great rares or get past great rares, which I think we'll see down the road in your PT draft. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, and, and that was something I really took to heart. I think I had been, certainly because I, like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff happening with play boosters. One, the wheel is less present, and so you do, like, you can kind of scrap for playables a little bit, and so that's why getting deep into one color is so valuable and so important, is like you, you want to give yourself the opportunity to not have to feel, one, like you're locked in and you can't pivot, and two, like you're scraping around, like you really have to take such huge hits in power level because you're working on your curve or whatever because you, you know, bobbed and weaved too much early on. That's where I think the getting deep into one color thing is so important and why the hybrid cards, the good ones are so high. And that, the other one here, like paying two mana to get collect evidence six fodder in your yard is so good. And that's another thing that push-pull does really, really well. Um, moving on, we've got Torch the Witness at number three. Killer Among Us, number four. Um, Case of the Gateway Express, number five. Anything to shout out about those three? I don't think so. It's pretty self-explanatory. Torch of Witness is a great two-for-one. Like, trades up on mana value. Very efficient. And you'll notice that, like, so we have one hybrid card there, but the top seven on this list, we have Reckless Detective, six, and uh, Perimeter Enforcer, seven. All of them are monocolored. And that's another thing, like, not that... Detect is Detective Satchel not great? And this was something that you and I had lower than Sanctum had on their list. That everyone on Team Sanctum was very high on Detective Satchel. And I think rightfully so. I, I thought for a long time that it was just a blue-red card. But you really can, like, you can play green-blue and splash that easily, and it'll be very good for you. It's very sick with one of our outside-looking-in cards, Forensic Researchers, we've talked about. Being able to untap that and activate it twice in a turn is huge. Taking, I, I've been a stand, like, I think we, you, we had the, the lesson learned a few weeks ago when we were reviewing some drafts and I got a little slap on the wrist from Ben of like, taking the gold cards early in this format, I think we're sort of back to, it's a little dangerous. It's too high risk, certainly high reward, but I think too high risk. Well, because there's two ways you want your draft to go. Like we were talking, one of yeah. our friends is playing in the PTQ drafts right now and we were doing some prep with him last night. You, you either want to play a ton of powerful cards across three or four colors, base green, or you really, really, really want to be streamlined two color. And the way to get in the right streamlined two color is to delay the decision and be one color and read what's open, certainly if you're white. Yeah, I think so. Like, we've said that. Like, I, your draft should either be you know the powerful cards to hold on to, and you do, right? You open a doppelgang, and you're like, which honestly feels more flexible than it should, because you're like, I can be green X and splash this. I can be blue X and splash this, because it's early enough. There's fixing enough that I can get my hands on. So knowing the cards that are powerful enough to take early Izoni, certainly, to hang on to and, and warp your draft round, or find the open color or color pair. It's hard to imagine drafts that don't end up in one of those two spots if you're valuing the appropriate cards appropriately. 
Yeah, and I think that's what we're trying to reflect here with these top common lists yeah. and top uncommon lists is which two color pairs we want to get into, which are white green, white red, that sort of stuff. But you know, one of the things that stood out to me from the single limb drafts on MTGO, certainly those Thursday drafts in the morning, like I drafted black a lot. Like anything is really doable. Yeah. Pod draft. Yeah, that's why. I mean, that's why this feels like such a good format to get to dive into is that it doesn't like. It doesn't feel like there's anything worth avoiding, and it feels like if you know, as we'll talk about in a little bit, about like, what do you, when you get, are getting deep into one color, what does that mean? Where are you then gonna head? What do you wanna pair it with? I think that's so much, and that I think can sound slightly like forcing to some people, but it's not. It's just about like understanding, like maximizing your picks or whatever, like putting stuff, setting it up to succeed, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, rounding, so rounding out the, this top on commons list, we have Satchel at eight. Lightning Helix, nine, and Buried in the Garden, 10. Some notable excludes are basically all multicolor cards. Uh, Private Eye featured at karaoke last night, um, <laughs> very importantly. Uh, Coerce the Kill, Gleaming Gear Drake. Uh, Aftermath Analyst, like, I want, I, I think that's in my heart, in my, in my top 10, but I don't think anyone else but you or I values it that highly, so I think having it on that list in that way is pretty irresponsible. Um, forensic researcher, the the blue tapper on tapper, and um, uh, what is that? Last breath, last. What is that? Long goodbye. Whatever. The black <laughs> removal spell. Um, and again, just like not a lot of black cards on these lists. Yeah, not a lot of black cards, but you got to be ready to draft black in pot. Yeah. So this is certainly not to write that off. No, for sure not. So let's talk about what I think differences for pod draft. Certainly being like, hey, we're we got to be open for anything, and what other things we noticed from going from, and I haven't really done a lot of like, and thankfully, I haven't done a lot of like best of one arena drafts, so I don't have that. I've been doing a lot of best of three drafts, a lot of in-pod drafts in preparation for this, so I don't know really what the differences are for this set specifically, but I recognize what they are in a broader sense. And the two things that I kept coming back to were two drops and removal. Like, the, the, the colorless two mana, two one that surveils one, like, just kept going up and up. It's a card that you would, if you haven't done pod drafts, I imagine you can probably get late. Maybe they wheel. It's a card you're like, I can get that later. You can't get them later in pod drafts, and you should take it now and not be embarrassed about it. Yeah, Sanitation Automaton is very worthy of your pick order. That's my number two card name, Swear Jar Quarter. I need, to, <laughs> I need to drop one in the bucket for The other thing is removal, and we've talked about removal a lot. Um, we'll see when we get to my draft. Like, I did not get a lot of interaction. I also didn't see much. It's not like I passed you know, passed a bunch of makeshift bindings or whatever. I just didn't see it. And that's partially because everybody knows everybody that you need knows to interact, that. right? And so you can't be choosy about it if you have to play a, a make your move main deck. I don't think that's that embarrassing. Pick your poison. I actually think one copy is quite main deckable in green deck. So like you just being able to interact, period, is very important. Those are the two things that really jumped out to me leading up to the PT. Yeah, I think so. And you know, I mentioned that I, a lot of those Thursday morning drafts on MTGO, I've been black a lot more because of two drops and removal. Like if you're like, you start down red and your red's getting cut, you're seeing some black cards, like black has, you know, the two one that you can suspect and then like turns into a late game threat. I think I'm higher on that card than you are. Yeah, but yeah. Because it's a two drop and then you've got three removal spells. You've got murder, you've got extracted confession, you've got slice from the shadows in black and you're gonna see some amount of those. It's a, it's a very nice, oh, my draft isn't going so hot. I feel like I'm getting cut. Let me jump into black. It's a very nice safety valve. I agree. I agree. So anything is viable, but how are you making it viable, I think, is important. Let's talk about the, like, I feel like we all know about, like, what white wants to do. I think it's a little less clear, like, okay, if I'm starting down red, what's happening? So let's, let's talk about white first. Yeah, I think if you start white, you have to be ready to fight. Like, yeah. You, you should not pick white cards if you don't want <laughs> to be white. Like, you, you've got to want it. Because in those pod drafts, everybody knows what's up. Everybody knows white is good. I mean, you saw LSV 3-0 with red, white, you know, bread and butter on, on day one draft, one of the PT. And day two. And day two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so white is great. But everybody knows that. So there's a little bit of, you know, Am I going to stick to my guns here? And you also can get juked out by the play boosters, right? There just might yeah. be a booster that gets past you that no white cards were opened. Or as you alluded to, the Coalition of the Pack, sometimes there's only one or two white drafters because the white cards just weren't there despite a really deep roster of commons. So I think if you're, pick if you're starting your draft with Novice Inspector, your intention should not be, 
oh, I'm going to be flexible and move off this novice inspector. You've got to give you weight once, yes. to that novice inspector. Yes, if I you agree. want to be white and you start with novice inspector, you've got to want to go deeper into white. And it doesn't take many picks. Like, I think if you're like white card, white card, white card, you're just kind of in. And even if it starts to dry up, you just got to trust, like, all right, let's figure out what the other color that's open is, and then it's going to come in pack two because I've passed literally none of it in pack one. Well, and sometimes it's cut in pack two because your neighbor knows, okay, I didn't see yeah, white, yeah. I'm going to get it from the right, and they undercut you from pack two. That, but that's why novice inspector is tough because, like, you do have to be heavy white, but also, also it's fine on, like, turn three. Just, like, play it, crack a clue. So maybe it, maybe not. Maybe you can be, like, 10, 7, 10 mountains, 7 planes, and... You feel fine about Novice Inspector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel fine. feel fine about Novice Inspector. But I, th I think white, in particular, gives you the benefit of, normally we wouldn't want to force like that, right? No. But it's, it's so good, so deep, that you're going to get some amount, uh -huh. no matter how cut it is. And then as long as you find the right secondary color to pair with it, you still end up with a good white X deck. When we talk about blue, I feel like blue is mostly a good support color. Because I'm like, I'm happy to pair it with, I think, all of them. I'm happy to be, I mean, blue-black probably the least, but I'm still happy with blue-black. And we should maybe, this is the time to shout out. So um, Simon Nielsen sent um, coverage yesterday, like intel from Team Handshake about their approach to draft, which is unsurprisingly a real zag. <laughs> they, uh, they really didn't like white that much. They liked to avoid it because they felt like it was overdrafted, and their opinion was shallow. Like, they weren't super high on inside source. They're not super high on projector inspector either, which are two cards in our top 10, largely because I think they feel that, yeah, maybe they're good or whatever, but they still trade with a disguised creature, and you're going to have no shortage of things to do on turn three. So, like, why prioritize those when you don't need to give the same weight that other people are to them, and then you can just draft the other stuff? And they actually really liked blue-black. Like, a lot of the, like, last pick value cards, like, deduce or fairy snoop they seem to be like we're in for that because you can then like get a lot of fixing play all the bombs people can't play when they pass them in pack two or pack three um and i feel like i'm i'm like i certainly like that mindset i don't know if that works specifically for me i feel like i can get behind about 80 percent of that sentiment but like it just that just goes to show you like those are incredibly good players and they're really like, oh, that's the worst archetype? No, we're fine with that. Well, and to me, that's more, rather than, it sounds like maybe they were trying to lean into that a little bit. Like, for me, that would just be a tool in your tool belt. Correct. That you're able to draft. And I, I don't know that I would be going into the draft steering towards it, but back to your point about blue being versatile, like, it really is. You're fine with all four. I think, for me, blue-black the least, but yeah. blue-white is great. Blue-red streamlined is great. Shout out to blue-green. It's back. It's back. <laughs> back and better than ever. I agree. So then... Black, you've been said you drafted, ended up in black a lot on the pod drafts. Like, where where do you go? Because I think black has a huge split. Like, you really can't if you're you can do the black white, black red, snarling gorehound, low to the ground aggro thing, and you can also do black green, black blue, late game, removal value thing. Like, and there's a kind of a pretty big divide there. It's often the sort of identity crisis I think we feel white sometimes has is present with black. Well, I think it depends on when and how you get into it. I think if you're starting black, you're trying to steer into blue-black or black-green and more of those late-game decks. I think because a lot of the, the better black cards, quote-unquote, go in those type of decks, whereas if you're getting into black as your secondary color, I feel like that's more often when you end up in white-black or red-black because you started white, white got uh -huh. cut, you hopped into black because you know you're going to get playables there. You started red, red got cut, you hopped got into cut. black because yeah, yeah. you, you know you're going to get playables there. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I buy that for sure. Um, I threw this out when we were chatting last night about Extract a Confession being what I think is Black's top common in terms of, like, w if I see something, pick five, and I'm like, okay, that's my first Black card I'm going to take. That feels like Extract to me. Like, I love Snarling Gorehound with a Vengeance, but I don't think that's the spot to take that card. Yeah. And what so else? Slice, Murder, like... Yeah, yeah, all of those cards. But ultimately, it just doesn't matter because they're all so interchangeable. They are really interchangeable. That was the conclusion I came to last yeah. night. All right, uh, what's going on with red? With red, if you start red, I think you're hoping, obviously, to be red-white. Red, white. And then secondarily, I think red-blue artifacts, a very streamlined deck. The thing that felt weird to me about that, like when I saw your team's list, there were a lot of red-blue cards way up there. And I love red-blue when it comes together. It just feels dangerous to me to draft because it's so high synergy that like, it's really easy to end up with two-thirds of a good red-blue yeah. deck and like yeah. hoping to draw, not draw that other third of your deck. But if you get there all the way, certainly love red-blue. It's just 
a dangerous one, I think, uh, as far as risk-taking levels go in the format. Maybe an unnecessarily risk, in my opinion. But if you get there, for sure. So red-white, then red-blue. And I, I personally, I'm still trying to avoid red-green. Uh, I don't feel like I really understand it yet. A lot of tricks going on there. But then red-black have come way up on, I think, when you start red, get cut, add black as your secondary color. Yeah, I buy that. I buy that. And then green, I think, like, green's commons have a lot to offer. I feel like there's a, kind of a little bit of a, a, a divide. Not that these cards can't all go in the same deck, but, like, I think about one, some kinds of green decks being, like, Tunnel Tipster on two, Eavesdropper on three, beating down, like, maybe pairing it with white, getting the... Um, the, oh gosh, I'm forgetting, this is my third, no, I don't know any card names, um, but the green-white hybrid that flips up and gets counters. You're a real PT competitor I'm a real now. PT competitor, yeah, it's all out, it's all out now. Um, but so like a beat down, get ahead of the curve green deck versus like ramping, splashing value, and that's where I think about Nervous Gardener, I think about V2 Gazi Inspector holding the ground early, gaining me a little life later. But you can put all those cards together, and I think... Green feels like a star in this set. It doesn't, like, oftentimes green is a support color. I don't think that. Like, my green decks are heavy green in this format a lot of the time. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think Loxanon Eavesdropper certainly stands out to me. Like, all of the cards, I was a little cooler on that card prior to this week. And also Cold Case Cracker, the 3 and a blue, 3-3 three, three flyer. Yep. Like, I've slandered that a little bit. But... All of those cards in pod draft that are just two-for-ones, like, go up. It's just hard to get really good card quality through your deck the way you would an arena best-of-one draft or whatever. Like, yeah. I, like, I'm not thrilled to play Cold Case Cracker in my arena best-of-one draft. Like, if I'm in blue and I'm playing Cold Case Cracker, you know, after drafting with seven other drafters that feel very competent, I, I feel great putting a Cold Case Cracker in my four-drop slot. That's something that I was thankful for doing so many pod drafts leading up to this week was that, like, you know... If you only do, I would say, certainly arena best of one draft, you get a sort of like a false sense of what an average deck looks like. Because in pod drafts, certainly every, you can have ones. And what, this is what was so helpful about doing the drafts on, on, on Thursday in the lobby of like getting to talk to people afterwards about where they ended up, whatever is like. And how you, they felt You get a draft. sense of like, oh, everybody's scrapping right now, or everybody has a good deck. And, and just getting to see everyone's yeah. decks, like where they were sitting in relation to you, was a, a big level up, for sure. Yeah. A lot more like, I think people ending up in fine decks and being in each other's business. Like, black, green, black, green, black, green, all next to each other. And like, people getting good looking decks, it can happen, you know? It's not crazy. Um, but I think understanding that, because you can have a like, oh man, my draft didn't go well. It's like, well, but Pod draft's different because, you know, it's a zero-sum game of the power level, right? If, if, you, if you open all the good stuff or whatever, if you don't see good stuff, that probably means other people are not seeing great stuff either. Well, and that's one of the things about white, like where you're trying to figure out, do I, don't I? Like, you can really get yourself in trouble in pod if you're trying to be white-red and you're like subpar white-red for a pod draft. Like, the green decks just laugh at a, a mediocre red-white aggro deck, right? Like, yeah. you don't really, truly get there on the number of two drops you need, the interaction, the tricks, and all that stuff. It is a, a little more dangerous in pot draft. And what do you want to say about this last bullet point here about the pick-ripple effect? Pick-ripple effect? I don't know. We talked about it last week. I just think staying open is yeah. so important. Like, I can't hammer it home enough. Like, but in the way of trying to get deep into one color, because normally I'm all for white card, blue card, black, red, gold card, green card, four picks in, you got five different colors in your pile. Like, to me, that's staying open, too. But I, this format is synergistic enough and powerful enough that I, I don't think you need to try to stay open that way. And oftentimes, it can lead you to tough decisions where you're still ultimately having to choose a lane of, OK, I'm going to be white aggro, or OK, I'm going to be green soup. And you don't get that much benefit from trying to stay open in that fashion in this format. Yeah. Well, should we get to the draft? Let's do it. The PT Draft Roundtable. Okay. So I surprisingly, I remembered quite a bit of this draft. We have, enough to, we have enough to chat about. And I haven't told you this yet, but so, you know, the, you get the, the packs are already sort of like opened and bound for you. And so my, for my, my first pack, pack A, the top card had a, had a blemish Ooh, on the bottom. So, so you I, got a new pack? I called the judge and got a new pack. And my new pack's rare. It was kind of stinky. And so I was like, well, what if I hadn't, what if I hadn't called the judge and just gone with it? But whatever. So... This is what we sit down and, and check out here for pack one, pick one. What do we got? Pack one, pick one, 
Pro Tour Karlov at MagicCon Chicago, you see the following cards as options. <laughs> Your rare, Officious Interrogation, which is blue-white, Investigate X, where X is the total number of creatures target player controls, and you can cast it for blue-white X for each player you want to target. So you can actually target both players. Learned that when I was reading the card today in preparation for the show. Unplayable. Very, very on-brand. Unplayable, yes. Uh, so really, you're choosing between two cards. Insidious Roots, Black-Green, Enchantment. I mean, you and I are pretty high on this deck, the Chalk Outline deck. Um, so Insidious Roots is an enchantment whenever a creature leaves your graveyard. You're going to make an 0-1 plant token, then put a plus one, plus one counter on each plant you control, and then your tokens tap for any color of mana. Certainly a backdoor deck that's very strong. I think maybe not steering into it at the PT, but if you get into green or black and this is there, I mean, that was certainly in your repertoire. And alongside this, you saw a Rebel Belt Maverick in the pack, too. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. A green 1-1 one, one, ETB Surveil 2. And then you can exile from your graveyard for a green to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. So some tempting fruit there with the Insidious Roots. And then there's also Forensic Researcher, which is two and a blue for the 1-3. Um, you can tap it to untap target permanent, and you can tap it to flex Evidence 3 and tap target creature. Yeah, so rare is stinky. Insidious Roots is fun. And was certainly like on my radar of like, it could wheel, like I could be at a table you know, I, don't, I, I didn't recognize anyone at my table as, like, a crusher. I wasn't sitting with Luis or Reed or whatever. Like, I didn't, no one that I really recognized, though I actually do think one person did top eight. So I was going to say, wow, feels bad if it, you're at Ethan's table. Maybe so an actual crusher. Uh, but, I, you know, it's a, it's a high-risk, high-reward thing. I don't know. People could just not be high on it. It's very possible that it could wheel. But forensic researcher, that, that was the pick that was going to make Ben proud. So I, didn't, I couldn't take roots. Heard my spot. voice in your head. I appreciate yeah. it. So I, I took the researcher. So that was felt like a kind of a lackluster. I mean, this we're taking not a top common. We're taking not a top uncommon. It's not great. You know? I mean, I like researcher. I initially had it on our top uncommons list, and you put your foot down and wouldn't let me put it on there. So we take we take the blue three drop. What's going on next? But you're you're happier, for example, with novice inspector than for instance. I'm happier with novice inspector one. for yeah. sure. Didn't get there, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so pack one, pick two with a forensic researcher in your file, I see the following cards as options. There's a reckless detective, which is the one in red for the O3, and whenever it attacks, you have the choice of sacrificing an artifact or discarding a card to draw a card. If you do, it gets plus two plus O. That card's been very strong. Um, as well as exit specialist, which is one in a blue for the two one. Can't be blocked by creatures with power three or greater. It has disguise for one in a blue. Um, and when you flip it up, you can bounce a creature back to its owner's hand. Yeah, and so this is, a, I think, sort of the pick order in action, but already the ripple effect in action, which is that if this were pack on pick one, we would take Reckless Detective. It was on our top 10 on commons list. But the gap here is not so big that I'm going to take the card that I think is just better in a vacuum. I'm going to get deeper into one color and take Exit Specialist. And also, I already knew, right, going back to the things that I knew about these drafts, was pinch on removal, pinch on two drops. Exit Specialist kind of solves both of those problems. Yeah, it's interaction, and in, in case of emergency, you can crack the glass and play it on turn two. You're so, certainly hoping to not do that, though. Yeah, so pretty happy with that going into to pick two. Obviously not happy to pass Re Reckless Detective, but what can you do? Well, and I think in other formats, too, you might take a Reckless Detective-esque card. This yeah. format just is a little bit different, I think, in that regard. I agree. Pack one, pick three. Stinky. There is not much to talk about. I don't, I remember the two cards I was choosing between. I do not remember what else was in the pack. Um, so there was an out cold, the three and a blue, tap two things, put a stun counter on them, investigate. And honestly, I really almost thought about taking Jaded Analyst third, the one and a blue three, two defender. If you've drawn a second card, it can uh, lose, it loses defender and it can attack with vigilance that turn. Um, I took the out cold, which I was happy about because I didn't really have a spot to take another one later and really wanted to end up with one. And also happy when we get to the wheel, we'll see a jaded analyst come around. But like, that's how much I think there's a pinch on playing stuff early. Again, a zero-sum thing of like, there's only so many two drops that are floating around. Well, and it sounds like you had some weak packs too, right? Like if there's any white card, if there's, a, if there's an inside source, Correct. if there's a makeshift finding, if there's a, not even dog walker, uh, maybe a granite witness or something, like you're snapping that up here in lieu of out cold. So it seems like you saw some weak packs, your first three packs. Weak packs for sure. So we took the out cold and then the rest of the pre-wheel, I got a dog walker fourth. So Great. I was like, okay, that seems signal-ish. Um, and I felt good about the flexibility of it. Happy to be blue-red, happy to be blue-white. Um, cold case cracker, again, feeling like uh, the packs were weak. And I was also like, oh, I took the out cold. Now I have a cold case cracker. I've already got two like, fine four drops. 
Like, it doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great, but I mean, you're setting yourself up with this to be deep blue. You're going to have a lot of options in pack two. And, and Cold Case Cracker's a problem. I mean, yes. somebody's going to have to deal with it yes. at some point. They're either going to die to a 3 3 flyer or you're going to get a clue. You're kind of happy in both. I said you were unhappy in both those scenarios. I was thinking best of one on Arena, but in Pod Draft, you're okay with that. I think so. And then a Crime Stopper Sprite, I remember that as well. I was basically mono blue coming out of pack one. And then the wheel, I, I got a Jaded Analyst from my opening pack and then got that Jaded Analyst that I almost thought about taking third. And so I was feeling great. I had like all blue cards and Dog Walker, and so do the Ben Wernie special. Get deep into one color, figure out the rest later. And the rest presented itself pretty <laughs> <Very> quickly. quickly. <laughs> Got a, a, yeah, a pack two, pick one, Ezrum. And it was the alt art one, so I was like going through, and I was like, oh, okay. And then that felt like decision time. You know, we often talk about that the decision happens, pack two, pick one, two, three, four, of like, you have to figure out where your point of no return is in a draft. And that was it. Ezrim is it. one of the busted, most busted rares in the set, I think. And I was like, I don't need, I'm, I'm aware that other people are drafting white. It's, I'm not gonna get the heavy white, I assume, but I can snap up enough to be able to be blue-white, was yeah. my plan. Yes, I would certainly agree with locking in blue-white. Yeah. <laughs> After an Ezrim here, pack two, pick thank one. The, the, yeah, thank you for that, uh, that, that backup there. So the rest of pack two, we got a seasoned consultant, ended up with the, the two Jaded Analysts, the Exit Specialist, my only other two drop going into pack three was this seasoned consultant that I got like pick seven, I think, or something. So that was on my list going into pack three was, okay, I need two drops, and I basically had no removal. My creature count was, was really good. Got an inside source here, projector inspector, ended up with, I forget if I had two or one in pack two, but I ended up with three in the final build that we'll get to. Um, but so those were my two notes. Like, I hadn't seen a makeshift binding, so I, I needed interaction, and I, I felt like because of how I was trying to set up my deck as blue-white tempo, I needed more twos. Um, and so, pack three, pick one. I see two rares, if they'll go, yeah, see two rares and a, a derpy little white two-drop. So open on uh, Incinerator of the Guilty, this is the mythic four red-red, six-six flying trample dragon. Um, if it deals damage to a player, you can collect evidence X and then deal X damage to all their creatures. Like, stone cold bomb. And I think if I, like, had all my picks in front of me and was drafting on Arena or Magic Online, there might have been a spot where I then go, all right, let's drag all the white cards to a column. What am I giving up? How many picks am I going to have to mess with? But I just, like, felt like I didn't have that mental space, certainly. And not sure if I had that time. Well, and also, you've got an Ezrum. I've which, got an Which Ezra. is an Incinerator-esque card. Yeah. There's, there's a Market Watch Phantom. You've said you needed two drops. I, I checked in with you on this pick. We haven't, like, we haven't seen each other talked that much. This convention has no. been insane. Yeah. I was like, you took Market Watch Phantom here, right? And you, yeah. said, you said you did. I did. Yeah, I took Market Watch Phantom, the one on a white 2-2. If another creature with power two or less comes into play under your control, it gains flying until end of turn. Also notably in this double rare pack, there was a loss in the maze, which I do think just in a vacuum is probably worse than out cold. And I was like, well, I already have out cold. I don't really, like, Yes, I need interaction, but is this really the interaction that I need? Lost in the Maze isn't going to be as good if I don't have the two drops to back it up. So I, I ate some vegetables here and I took Marker Watch Phantom. It didn't, didn't feel great at the time. Um, and then moving on to pack three, pick two. The, notably, there was a detective satchel in that last pack two. And then a detective satchel here, furthermore being like, ah, what if I, I could have the Take dragon the and then go in with this and go blue red instead. But then I got to the novice inspector towards the back of the pack. I was like, okay, I'm gonna take that, we're good. Again, really didn't end up as we get to the full deck here. I don't know how, how much people can see it, but don't have a ton of interaction. I'm playing a dramatic accusation. The two in a blue, tap a thing, keep a tap. But that's not unusual for pod draft. Like, right. I think totally fine with that. Um, so a 16 creature deck, um, yeah, playing unauthorized exit, the bounce spell, just like get some ways to mess with stuff in combat or whatever. Um, 16 creatures, ended up running 18 lands, 11 islands, 7 planes, because I had three projector inspectors. That was something, that was my last like real like, okay, do I want to play one more thing and run 17? But I usually, I really just err on the side of if you can hit land drops, you're going to be okay. And with three projector inspectors, I just felt like I want to get to three lands on time every time. Well, and the other thing that was super nice about your deck, well, it was, very, it was cool watching you, just hearing the call draft at the PT. Like, that was, that was an awesome scene at the start of the, the con. But you flashed us 
uh, your Ezra after you were Great done. Great deck building. Great deck building. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing, after we, you came out and showed us your deck that I hadn't quite put together yet, the Jaded Analysts are great aggro cards in your deck because of the three projector inspectors, right? Like, mana-free way to draw cards if you're curving out with the detective synergy. Like, this deck could beat down and put the hurt on. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, all, as a result, all of those tempo cards that you have act a little bit more like removal and help, help solve that pinch. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was pretty happy. I didn't, like, I felt like that was the deck for my seat. May, like, maybe... I could have pivoted for red. That just doesn't feel responsible to me, really. Like, I think I did the right thing. Um, and as you can see, not many white cards. Mostly mono blue, handful of white cards. There's the Ezra and the Dog Walker. Um, and that's the deck. So we'll talk about the rounds real quick. Yeah, please. Um, so match one, I, this, this is so, it was a great game. I was like going along, got my stuff, really planning out. It was a blue-white mirror, actually. They were blue-white splashing red. Um, and... Got to play, I was like, okay, I'm going to play Ezram with two mana up so it resolves, play around reasonable doubt, make sure I have the two mana up to be able to sack the clues, to do any messiness, whatever. They can't mess with this. That's how I would feel also. And then they cast No Witnesses, which is a card that I just didn't know we played <laughs> in white decks in this <laughs> format. Like, so that, I was like, and then I just like looked at my gray, like all my projector inspectors were gone, and like, I, I, I can't win this game. Crack a bunch of clues, land, land, land. All right, great. Uh, go to game two, win that game, and then we're in like a tight, tight game three, and just my opponent ended up being able to get the win with a, a Griffnaught tracker um, just pecking in in the air over and over again. I had a really interesting spot, like trying to, I was like having to think about all of my outs because I had a jaded analyst, but no way to get it to attack. And so I kept thinking like, okay, if I draw like, on the job, I'll have a clue. If I draw Auspicious Arrival, I'll have a clue. And so just trying to construct what my outs were, but then just a land, which happens when you run 18 lands. Yeah. So, unfortunately, started off the day with a loss. Um, Speaking of on the job, that card has oh, yeah. skyrocketed for me over the past four days. It's, it, I mean, hyperbole here, but it's, it's very close to overrun draw a card. It puts your opponent in horrible, horrible spots. I agree. I mean, like, just the fact that you can fail case, two drop, three drop, attack, they don't block, and you go, sure, deal you four extra draw a card. And then you draw a card, but also by doing that chunk of damage, you, you crunch how they can play the rest of that game. Yeah. Because they're worried about future on the jobs, or they're, I mean, it's so hard to be the aggressor after you've taken 12 from an on the job or whatever. Yeah. And you have to, like, always think about it, too. Uh, like, your blocks always have to anticipate plus two power, plus one toughness on all of your opponent's creatures. But then they also don't have to fire it off. <laughs> like right, so you block poorly and they're like... Very okay. hard to play around. Yeah, for sure. Um, match two played against the blue-green deck. It was weird, so you don't play big X, little X. I was assuming, at least for the first match, you'd play the person across the table from you. Not. My first round opponent was two to my right. My second round opponent was directly to my left. They were on blue-green. Kind of mediums, I would say. Um, and I won game one and actually actually got to kind of like steal-ish. I think a game that they would have won online because their Rubble Belt Maverick would have been nice and floating on the right side out of their graveyard, like, hey, exile me, put a counter <laughs> on something. But it wasn't. It was just hiding in their graveyard. I almost conceded, and I was like, all right, I'll just play the turn. I tapped out, cast Ezram. But if they had exiled Rubble Belt Maverick, they would have been able to present lethal with their attackers. As it was, they only could put me to one. They started off the turn, cracked a clue. I was like, oh no, I don't think they see it. Then they cast a Vijugazi Inspector and passed. And I was like, okay. And then Ezram did some Ezram things and gained me 510 life and we were back in it. So felt good. Once I got the like match win monkey off my back, I felt fine. I was like pretty bummed after match one. I got the win in match two. Felt pretty good. Yeah, and your round two opponent was super nice. After the draft, came up and found me. It was like, hey, huge fan of the show. Like, after the, the rounds were done, like, sent me Ethan, or sent me his deck list for the podcast. Like, just very cool guy. Yeah, awesome. Shout out to Kane. And then match three was a bit of deja vu, as you'll see on the slide. The same thing happened. I was like, all right, we got Ezram. We got mana up. We're good. No witnesses. <laughs> I was like, how is this happening? <laughs> uh, my opponent's deck was very good. They were on red-white, double dog walker, double galvanized, case of the um, burning masks. 
no witnesses, which was good. And so then, and then the awful thing about seeing no witnesses game one is then you have to, it's like cripples Your, the way you play the rest of the match. Well, certainly with an Ezra, like that card, yes. is, that card is uniquely hard for <laughs> yes. your deck yes. to deal with. Like, it's still not that busted of a rare in the context of the overall format. Right. That's a good card that you're going to play when you're not, like, super all in aggro. But with an Ezrum, like, you just don't know when to run it out then. I know, yeah. So, uh, I lost game one, managed to get the wins in game two, game three. My opponent mulliganed to six, all three games. Their deck looked excellent. And then because I knew where they were sitting, two to my left, at the end I was like, I was like, that's where you were? He was like, yeah. I was like, so you have a very shy dragon in your deck? And he <laughs> pulled it out. So I was very lucky to have not seen that. But I do think like that's a great example, because I did think about it when I saw it. I was like, this card's so nuts. Should I hate this? No. Well, but like, yeah, this is, a, this is credence to that thought of like, look, I even faced the person I passed it to who put it in their deck, and they never drew it. So like, that can happen. And your Market Watch Phantom was great, I assume. <laughs> and my Market Watch Phantom was great. It was really, really great for sure. Um, so that was the limited portion. So I felt good. 2 1 the draft. I was on plan. That was on plan. 2 1 the draft. 2 3 Pioneer. The rest did not go to plan. The Pioneer wheels, if they were ever on, fell off pretty, pretty quickly. I did like, some of it was like losing the matchup lottery. Some of it was, I don't think I picked a good deck. For, your your for deck me. was? Red, red, black, mid-range. Specifically tuned for the Mirror and Blue-Red Phoenix. Like we had some, some cool, like just main decking Aklazots, four copies of Graveyard Trespasser, et cetera. And those, and those two decks plus Blue-White made up 40% of the field. I faced one of those decks in my five rounds that I played. So, like, a little bit of losing the matchup lottery. Two, like, mistakes that I made that I think I could have known to not make that I will not bore you with. Um, but the rest, like, I just think lessons learned for me. Like, some of it is, like, magic do be like that. And some of it for me is, like, I, I still am just so, like, amazed at the delta between... How you're wrapping your brain around playing limited well and wrapping your brain around playing constructed well. Like, I just, my brain is not built for it yet. <laughs> it's tough. Well, we were talking about, like, uh, the closest we've come to blows on the podcast, you were telling me which deck you picked, and yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't know. And you were like, you cannot do that to yeah, me right yeah, yeah. now. You, you know nothing. You cannot question my deck. Well, well, and I can say this now. There was sort of like this 11th hour deck that Team Sanctum came up with that about uh, half of them, maybe four of them played. Uh, in the PT, Jason Yee, who like, just almost top-aided their first Pro Tour, lost like three win-and-ins, which is so, so heartbreaking. But like, they came up with this pretty incredible like, fused blue-white control, added Lightning Helix and Fable, and like, jammed creativity for Atraxas. So sort of fused like, three different decks together. That was really good, but like, a day before deck registration, they were like, fiddling with the mana base. I was like, I can't, this is... <laughs> far too stressful for me. I don't know how you do it. But I think one of my takeaways is like, I think I actually need to trust that if, if I get to this position next time, I'll be playing in Arena Champs at the end of the month. That like, if something like that happens, I think I need to trust myself a little bit more. If I like, I recognize the power level of this deck and just be like, hey, I, I can do it. I, I could probably maybe get up to some amount of speed on this thing. And the other thing is I think like the deck, I, like Rakdos Midrange is a very reactive deck. Like, you have, when you thought seize, you have to know, like, everything about their deck and their hand and what the right thing to take is. And, like, that's something that I'd put in a lot of reps, but it's still, there's so much room for error there. I do think next time I would be better off being like, I'm going to do a deck that does its thing, and you got to disrupt me. Not Lotus Field. That's, that's what I said. I said we were talking. If, I, if I'm ever lucky enough to queue for the PT, I want the least interactive constructed deck possible. So I can do my thing. Just let the luck fall where it may. Yeah, yeah. And again, I just get a huge, huge shout out to Team Sanctum for having me. Like, it was awesome to get to uh, Jake Beardsley and, and Matt Foreman on the same deck. It was really cool to talk to them. It was awesome to see, like, Kane and, and Jason figuring out the creativity deck. It was awesome to get my butt kicked practicing against Autumn playing Phoenix a bunch. Like, shout out to her. She, like, basically taught, like, I, like, one sevened with that deck when I was, like, doing my gauntlet of playing a bunch. I was like, I don't get this. And then played it against her a bunch, and then I was, like, 4-1 to league with it. I was like, oh, I think I, because I've seen her, like, play so well with it, I can figure this out. So that was very cool. Felt like a nice, like, being a, a bit of a fly on the wall. And then got to feel like, when we got to the limited meeting, get to be like, no, I actually, my opinion, I, I could say something about this, you know? Um, so that was really, really cool. Those are my, that's it. And then, and now we're doing this. 
We're, we're on the stage? Like, what is <laughs> happening? <laughs> it's crazy. Absolutely wild. I think the, the thing that sticks out for me the most, not having been a part of the PT, like, just the sheer amount of stuff happening at this convention. The biggest magic con ever. Biggest magic con ever is absolutely outrageous. I, the first, we, we literally didn't talk that much until last night. No. Like, all I've done since I got here on Wednesday was eat and draft <laughs> prior to last night. It's just absolutely shout, shout wild. Shout out to the fried chicken sandwich at the bar in the hotel. Ben was that incredible. Couldn't, so effusive about the sandwich. Very good. My palate is very bland and <laughs> they, don't make, they don't make food like that in Southern Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> unreal, unreal. Well, this has been incredible. An incredible weekend. Amazing cap to it, doing this live show. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to the folks at MagicCon Chicago for having us. The sold-out MagicCon is awesome. Stick around at 2 o'clock. There's going to be a PT Top 8 watch party with Brian David Marshall, and I think some other pros are going to be there too. Thank you all for coming out to watch and taking time out of the con weekend to be with us. We really appreciate it. And until next time, until the next live podcast episode, thank you for watching. All right. We're back from the live stage on Chicago. That about wraps it up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to Cool Stuff, Inc. for sponsoring this podcast for the last I don't know, year plus. We really appreciate it. You can show the support by heading on over to CoolStuffInc.com. Buying anything using checkout code LOL, all caps, when you do, to get 5% off your order. This will be the last time to do that. And you can find all of our content over on our website, lordsoflimited.com. There is our merch. We're rocking the merch today, Ben. Ooh. Merch courtesy of TeePublic. Uh, you can find our tier list for the format and formats past. You can find all of our episode backlogs, our YouTube channels, our Twitch channels. All that good stuff is on lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.